Welcome to The Squeeze, your home for baseball content from opening day to the final out of the World Series. Hosted by Logan Lockhart and Tyler Milliken. Brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk. Yes, that's right. It's The Squeeze. My name is Logan Lockhart. That right there is Tyler Milliken. We are on primetime sports talk. As always, every week, we will do this during the baseball season. My co-host, partner in crime, Tyler Milliken. What's on your mind, Tyler? Not too much. It's been a good week over in uh, Red Sox Nation. You know, I can't complain, and we're going to get into it with the show. But episode number two, uh, episode one went great. Heard a lot of great feedback. So let's just keep the ball rolling. And I'm hearing that you believe the Red Sox might be the hottest team in baseball. What's this about now? Hold on for a second. Last time we talked, it was... The sky is falling, and now they might be the hottest team in baseball. It just shows how quickly things can change. Listen, I tried to tell people. I did. I was like, listen, it's three games. We, we play 162. You know, in a 60-game season, I'd even tell you to breathe, but I could understand the panic. Three games in a 162 season is not to say it's meaningless, especially to open a season, but it's pretty close to it, especially for those who watch the games, you know, and I know a lot of people don't want to stick through, you know, people watched two or three games in 2020 and that was it. They saw the Red Sox was on opening day this year. They didn't want to even get into another game, but the pitching that's the constant variable throughout this entire season so far, even, you know, as bad as Garrett Richards was his first start, we saw it come around in his second start yesterday. The pitching, what killed them last year, they had two starting pitchers to begin the season. It was Martin Perez and Nate Evaldi. There was nothing else. It was Ryan Weber, Jeffrey Springs, you know, a bunch of miscasts, Matt Hall, like these guys who, you know, no disrespect to them. They're just not big league starters. And when you're asking them to eat the amount of innings that, you know, they had kind of had to carry last year, what do you expect to happen? Just having serviceable pitchers this year makes a world of a difference, especially when you have what looks to be a top five offense in baseball, maybe top three. Serviceable pitchers who are average and you can maybe get away with being a little below average. That's what I've been saying about the Angels as well. Just get pitchers in there. They don't have to be above average slightly. They can be slightly below average, but that team will be significantly improved. If you look at the war and the value that they're producing, that's all you need. Um, The Red Sox, no one should be looking at the standings right now at this point in April. Nobody. Oakland. I'm looking at you. Don't look at the standings right now. It's okay. Yankees, I'm looking at you. The thing is, is that when you got the pitching there and you see some of those bats in Boston heating up at the right time and now in Baltimore, which I love watching games in Baltimore because the ball just flies at Camden Yards there. I love it. But uh, now that we're talking about the Red Sox, let's talk Bobby Dalbeck. Um, We might as well go in that direction here. He struggled. Okay. Uh, Cora's given him some days off here and there. But he is, he's got two hits on the year, okay, and he's two for 21. And that's not going to cut it for his expectations. Are you a little surprised? He was kind of raking in the spring, okay? This is a guy that was coming into the season, and the expectations were what? What were they? They were five homes this year? Honestly, and Logan, this is going to surprise you, but inside of, you know, the Red Sox Twitter sphere, there were people saying they thought he was going to have a 40 home run season this year. Like this, yeah. these were legit expectations and everyone saw spring training. He had eight bombs and it was, you know, listen, I love spring training. I'm a guy who watches game after game. 
But when balls get up into the jet stream there, they're going to carry time and time again. And you're facing guys who are just trying to get their work in. You know, it's great to see the home runs, but the minute you start to cling to them and look like, oh, this is going to be, you know, this tells me what the season is. Don't buy in, especially with younger guys like this. And Bobby Dubek, he's hitting 95. He's not even hitting 100 right now. You know, 0-95. And we saw last night there was a defensive lap last where he threw the ball at home uh when he shouldn't have he kind of should have just held it um you know gone to first and got the easy out or go to second you know there it was a situation just doing too much um but i think with bobby dalbeck what people don't realize is the hit tool there is not enough to expect him to be an all-star capable player especially early on this is a guy who struggles immensely with velocity especially up and inside and we're talking in baseball today all you see is 95 to 100 you know a lot of starting pitchers are sitting 95, 96. You get to the bullpen, you're in so, big trouble, you so, know? Yeah. And he he's just getting beat time and time and time again. And, you know, people want to immediately say, you know, is Bobby Delbeck Michael Chavis? There's a lot of similarities there. I think Bobby Delbeck, while Chavis, you know, he can play a little second base in that mix. You know, they tried him in left field and it didn't work. But Bobby Delbeck, he's pretty smooth at first. He can go over to third and hold his own there too. Um, there's more upside to Bobby Delbeck, you know? Um the power he has isn't just normal power. It is a special power as you're going to see in baseball. We're talking Giancarlo Stanton level power here where, you know, if he can, he can hit the ball farther than anybody. Um, but you have to hit the ball, right? And, and that's the biggest part of this. And unfortunately the hit tool, his ceiling is that of a 235, 245 guy. And this early on, it, he's going to have some really rough adjustment periods. And this, we're just in the middle of one right now. He's in an adjustment period. He's expanding the zone. I feel He's swinging. He, well, first of all, he's struggling to put the bat on the ball. We know that he strikes out a lot, but he's expanding the zone when maybe you should be taking pitches. He's helping out the pitcher in a big way. And at this point in your career, you just can't do that. It's almost like rule one. Do not expand the zone. When we talk about the Blue Jays in a little bit, I'm going to say the same thing about their lineup because they are victims of it um, completely. Um, that's what they're doing. Dahlbeck, same thing. Defensively, what, what are your impressions? Um, this is a guy that you have in your lineup because of his bat. That's why he would be in the lineup. You don't expect anything big time out of him on the defensive side of the ball. But is it frustrating when you don't get both sides of production? At least when you have a guy who's not hitting, you can say, well, serviceable in the field. And that's valuable in itself. It sounds weird, but I feel like some of his defensive struggles, and they haven't been that bad. You know, last night was just a really tough moment, and I think it buys into that kind of just young guys doing too much. You know, he was trying to make a play at that point, you know, stop the, you know, game-tying run at the time and, you know, hold things up, and or I believe it was the go-ahead run. You know, just trying to do too much. Um, he's serviceable out there. You know, he's not by any means holding you down or anything like that. Um, you know, naturally a third baseman, but he did get some good first base reps when he came up last year and leading up to it. He's fine. It's more what people are going to worry about. And the Red Sox defense has been sloppy overall. It's the bat. And it's just expectations are so high for the bat and the power. And people want to see the moon shots and the, you know, everyone, there's a thousand nicknames for him right now. All, you know, all this different stuff. It's just people set the standard way too high for a guy who, his biggest strength is his power, and unfortunately, every level he's hit throughout the minors, he struggled really bad at first once he's got there. And we saw last year, he got hot at first, got cold, and then finished strong. I think after an offseason where pitchers can make adjustments, it's they know how to attack him, and it's going to take some big strides for him to figure it out. 
And ultimately, if you look at the timeline where the Red Sox are going with Rafael Devers, uh, Tristan Cassis being at double A, um, and likely, you know, if he keeps surging like he is as the number one prospect in the system, there's going to be a little bit of a crunch going on here where people got to figure things out. And I don't know if he's going to fit into that long-term plan. Well, let's think a little short-term here. and Let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, let's say four weeks from now, he's batting 120. He's got one homer. Where is he? He's back at the ATS. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to let him go out there and just fall apart. And he's the kind of guy, you know, when it comes to making an adjustment, when he's cold, it is going to be as bad. We're talking Mark Reynolds bad, like swinging at balls that are bouncing in front of the plate bad. Like he's he could strike out realistically, you know. He could lead the MLB in strikeouts. We're, we're talking about that kind of swing and miss stuff. And I, I don't think they'd let him go out there and just continue to struggle. He'll get a leash here, I think, at least the first month of the season. Um, but they have options, and they have versatility there with a Marwin Gonzalez who can move over to first base, a Michael Chavis who has been on the taxi squad, uh, and who, you know, he lit up spring training, and while he has a lot of the same struggles, you can kind of mix and match. And for a Red Sox team that's playing well, you know, you can make up for it and let, you know, try different parts. But if you're hitting below 100, just about anything's better at that point. Can't do it. And I like the versatility on the Red Sox this year. You talk about Marwin Gonzalez, Kike Hernandez. There's guys on this team that you can move around. There's flexibility. That's going to help core out a lot. And if you have a guy struggling like Dahlbeck, well, that's okay. There's options there. This is a good, good roster. I like the Red Sox roster. I don't think it's a disaster. And, I, and I'm with you on the Red Sox this year. I look at them as a team that could probably put together 80 wins here, 80 plus and really compete. And I think the AL East, we're overlooking the fourth team in this division. It's all about Tampa Bay, the Yankees, and Toronto. Hold on for a second. The Red Sox are right there. And it wasn't that long ago. Forget George Springer. Forget Marcus Semien. Let's look a little before that for a second. It wasn't that long ago. There was a real conversation about Red Sox versus the Blue Jays. Who's better right now? We didn't know. Right? We didn't no. know that. And the Blue Jays added Springer and Semyon, and then we kind of just gave it to the Blue Jays. But it no, wasn't that long. That was exactly it. And I think we saw the Blue Jays last year, especially that surge at the end of the year and how they all kind of came together. And the Red Sox were going in such a downward slope at the time, you know, in the eyes of people on the field. Um, but, you know, you look at the Blue Jays and where they're at right now. I, I do think, you know, it's one of those situations. Their floor, I feel like, is lower than the Red Sox. But if things click and, you know, Health is on their side, especially on the pitching end where, you know, it really hasn't been to begin the season. I think that ceiling is higher for the Blue Jays here. But what people need to look at is the Rays. And listen, I we all know every single year the Rays are competitive, which, all right, you know, you know there's been some years mixed in there where it's been a little closer to 500, let's be honest. But if you look at some of those guys in that bullpen, Chris Mazza, Jeffrey Springs, uh, Colin McHugh, these are the castoffs from the Red Sox last year. And, you know, everybody wanted to crap all over the Red Sox. You know, who are these jokes Heim Bloom brought in? People want to back the Rays and say, you know, oh, they'll figure it out. You give them the excuse, but you didn't give the Red Sox any kind of excuse. You joked on them all last year. That's the thing about the Rays. They can get, ca- I've heard this movie before. They get casts off and they turn into pitchers. They, they turn into something. Colin McHugh's had success in the past. But he's gone on a huge downward spiral. You know, he's just not the same pitcher. He's not the guy in Houston that we once saw. And he wasn't good at Boston. But once he goes to the Rays, whoa, hold on. The Rays, look at the good moves they made. They brought in Rich Hill and Colin McHugh and Chris Archer. Look, it's just the Rays 
factor. It's funny, on the Yankees broadcast yesterday on the Yes Network, Michael Kay was breaking down the history of the Tampa Bay Rays, and he said when they were the Devil Rays, they had the worst winning percentage out of anyone in baseball. But once they became the Rays, now they got the fifth best. So clearly, it was just the Devil. That's all that happened. Take away the Devil, boom, they're a great team. That's what it is. Yeah, and like, I don't know. I look at it and like, you look back at some of those arms in a Chris Mazza and a Jeffrey Springs, you know, Jeffrey Springs analytical stuff. You saw it and you were like, all right, I can see, you know, in terms of spin rate and different stuff like that, where this guy could succeed. Um, Chris Mazza, even at times, you know, he, he was up and down throughout last year and Colin McHugh opted out. You know, he'd even play last year for them after signing. Um, but, you know, the idea that, listen, they're bringing in cast offs just like the Red Sox did a year ago. So I understand the pitching factory and everything like that, but it's never that easily. You know, while you have plenty of guys that click, the Rays have had plenty of guys that haven't clicked. Um, but what they're great at is bringing guys up and down and kind of filling those holes as that year goes along. And the Rays do have that, but you already see it. Chris Archer went down two days ago. Um, you know, was a little bit of a scary situation. It doesn't seem like they're overly concerned at the moment. Um, but anytime you tell me there's some kind of a forearm problem there, I'm going to be worried. So get this, okay? It took 8,205 games in San Diego Padres history for them to throw a no-hitter. It finally happened, and it's fitting. comes from Joe Musgrove, the San Diego area native. Um, It was a good story. It was a good story. Happened against the Rangers, uh, whose best hitters strike out 200 times a year. But it still happened against the Rangers, and um, it it was one of those things. I, I don't like when... No hitters are not perfect games because you hit a batter. That, that, you know, that really gets to me. If I was a Padres fan or if I was someone at the game, I would just be kicking myself walking out of the stadium going, ah, just a hit by pitch. That's all it took. But Joe Musgrove and this Padres rotation, it really speaks to what they have going there. We don't even have to mention Mackenzie Gore, do we? I mean, it's ridiculous ridiculous what they have there the depth this team is fun to watch they're exciting they're almost must see as anybody in baseball right now and that's with the Tatis injury yeah and listen you know you look at the whole Dodgers Padres rivalry what a interesting you know way things turn out where the day the Dodgers get their World Series ring it's supposed to be their day that happens. Joe Musgrove goes and throws the first no hitter in Padres history, being a native, like you said, and just the other things that played like Chris Young being there, uh, the Rangers GM, who is the last Padres pitcher to make it into the ninth inning with a no hitter, watches it live like in the state. Like there were so many little things like that. Uh, Carantini, uh, the catcher, Victor Carantini, who caught Alec Mills no hitter last year. Uh, the last no hitter we saw, he catches this no hitter like so many weird dynamics there. And it, listen, it was as entertaining as anything I've watched, you know, no hitter wise, just the energy. And you saw it with the Padres, how excited they were, especially when they ran on the field for him. You know, we didn't have a lot of moments like that last year because of COVID and guys were nervous, you know, with walk-offs and big moments that jump all over each other. Eric Hosmer, how fast he ran from the dugout to the mound and just screaming like, it felt so great. It felt like baseball, you know, like old, like old fashioned. It was like for a second, it was like you're in a time machine almost. And I, and that was such a fun thing to see. And Don Arcillo nailed the call. You know, I, I don't, he is, there's nobody better in the game in my eyes. Um, go ahead. No, I, 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 that's a great point. Just, I've had a blast listening to him, listen to the Padres games this year. And it's real early in the season, but I've listened to about four or five games, watched them, got to watch them. And I've really enjoyed it. The whole broadcast, 
I'm staying, I'm on the East coast and I'm staying up late watching those Padres games. Same here. And you know, as a, as a Red Sox fan who listened to him, he's my childhood. I, I sometimes just listen and like, he had the, he used, uh, you know, send San Diego into a frenzy or whatever his line was. That was the same line when Clay Buckholtz threw his no hitter, you know, he sends Fenway into a frenzy and like just hearing that chills, like nothing but chills. You know what I mean? Um, and of course, you know, the hit by pitch, I'm right there with you, Logan. Oh, I, I, it bothered me so much. And I was sitting there, I was like, would I be more upset if it was an error? And I was like, eh, you, you know what I mean? Either way, just to be so close and. It's Joey Gallo, a guy who strikes out, you know, more than anyone in baseball. It sucks that way. But, you know, if be one thing, if they had no hitters in their history, I guess. But for it to be the first one, I think it still gives so much significance, such a moment. And I'm expecting Joe Mo- or Joe Musgrove's stock to skyrocket this year. Yep, absolutely. And I love what you said about the players, just, you know, letting it all out there loose. We didn't see that last year. We really didn't. And one of my favorite things about baseball is that sometimes it turns grown men into little kids. And I mean that in the best way possible. We've seen postseason moments that do that. There's so many examples of it in baseball and no hitters or perfect games. It's one of those times when it happens, everyone just goes, you know, it's just one of those moments. And um, the superstitions as well throughout the game, watching those unfold, there's just something about it. And, that's one of the reasons why baseball, it's as unique as they come. Um, and in my opinion, it's its up there with the best. You know, moments like that, it makes it the best that we have. There's just something about no hitters, the perfect game, the cycle. You know, it, it's just different in baseball. And I, I don't know exactly why. You know, I mean, you see plenty of things, whether it's, you know, a 50-point game in the NBA or a guy throwing for 400 or 500 passing yards or a, four, you know, late fourth quarter, but... When you watch a guy, especially like a no hitter or a cycle, it's such a, you know, individual like moment. And you see like, wow, this guy knows like it doesn't get better than this right here. Like this is your moment. And Musgrove talked about he's like, listen, this kid was an elite pitching prospect coming up. He had never thrown a no hitter in his entire life. High school, little league, you know, like what? You know what I mean? Like in. You look at it, you know, everyone remembers growing up, kids playing, you know, you see a kid, you know, some kid you grew up with throw a no hitter or something wild like that. This is a guy who's, you know, going to be one of the better pitchers in baseball and it happens and it was all on his face. And for, he said after the game, he's like, I didn't feel that good in warmups. I didn't sleep good the night before. Like, wow. It just shows, you know, sometimes that moment is just meant to be. And that's what I'd consider that night. Patrick Mahomes threw a no hitter. Yeah. He threw a perfect game, I think, actually. I think you're right. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's just wild, you know, and sometimes you get away with it. You've seen guys who, you know, we remember the Edwin Jackson, no hitter, you know, a hundred, what it was like 130 pitches, you know, four or five walks. This was as clean as you're going to get. Hell of a performance, man. Hell of a performance. One of my favorite things about no hitters too, in perfect games is that we remember them. And, and, you know, I remember Dallas Braden on mother's day. I remember King Felix um, Verlander. I've seen, actually, I was there live in 2011 for Verlander's no-hitter. Wow. Then, in 2019, Houston, Toronto, September 1st, I was also there. It's funny, because I'm on the way to the game, and I'm telling my buddy, I'm saying, you know what, the last time I saw Verlander pitch live, he threw a no-hitter. Imagine if it happens here, and it did. So, it's one of those things. It's like, that's something you remember. That's something you take. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, Logan. That that is, is the you are yeah. both no hitters. That is unreal. Um, and they're both in Toronto. Wow, yeah. what are yeah. the chances? 
But like it's stuff like that. Like I, I think back through the Mark Burley no hitter, you know, like all those different moments. You know, Philip Humber, like it, it, like yeah, yeah. you you remember guys that just you know somehow it clicked just for one day, you know. And you know, it's great when you see an elite pitcher do it and have those moments. But it's even weirder when it's these guys who you just never would look at it. Mike Fires has two no hitters. Yeah, like you know, and he, no no disrespect to Mike Fires, he's a pretty average pitcher. You know, sometimes below average, and to have moments like that is just it's what makes you love baseball yeah absolutely absolutely 100 percent Roy Halladay in the postseason that was another great moment um oh we can go on all day about no hitters and the history of them foreign substances I'm not going to call this um you know whatever you want to call it I'm just going to say it's suspicion and we have found foreign substances on these baseballs what do you make of all this? Because I am concerned about the game moving forward. I'm concerned that this is going to blow over in a bad way. I feel like this is just the beginning of a story that really hasn't reached its climax yet. And I think that's really scary. I'm right there with you. And um, listen, I, I think the whole handling of the situation by Major League Baseball is so uncomfortable and awkward and honestly unprofessional. Um so a lot of people saw a couple of days ago, the Ken Rosenthal piece that came out on the athletic about uh, Trevor Bauer. There was a source at his last start against the athletics that saw, you know, there was something on the baseball. Listen, um, I, I think the way that article was put out there and Ken Rosenthal is one of the best in the business. This is no disrespect to him. Um, you know, so a source brought something to him and I understand why he wrote the piece. But if you think Trevor Bauer is the only pitcher in baseball, they were taking baseballs and examining them from you're an idiot. I don't know how else to give it to you because we've seen Garrett Cole's fingers get stuck to his helmet or to his hat while on the mound. I guarantee they're taking balls from just about all the pitchers in baseball. You know, there's stuff on all there. You can see it. It it is what it is. John means. We all saw him touching his glove. Um, It's happening across the sport. And unfortunately is I like, I'm a Trevor Bauer fan. I do think there's certain things that I don't like about him and I don't appreciate at times. And he's put a target on his back. Um, for number one, how he called out the Astros initially. And number two, he's guilty of it. I, I hate to be that person, but we all know starting in September 2019, his spin rate jumped about 200 RPMs just off bat. He was quoted as saying, there's no way to increase spin rate without putting something on the baseball. You need to use some kind of foreign substance. And he was the same guy who said this issue was worse than steroids, which Honestly, I, I do think that is a real conversation that it is just as bad, if not worse, especially when you see how offense and batting average have dropped in baseball uh, in recent years. But I, I believe Trevor Bauer was singled out a little bit here. And I think this is going to be a huge problem for baseball moving forward. And my other question, whoever this source was, right, that came out and said they saw stuff on you know the balls Trevor Bauer's throwing, why didn't an ump go up to Trevor Bauer? If we're going to enforce this rule that they said they're going to, why did you not go up to Trevor Bauer when there's obviously stuff on the baseball? If we're serious about curving this issue and stopping it, you let him continue to throw knowing he's cheating, cheating, right? I'm using that word very loosely, but according to their rules, he's cheating. Tell me how that makes sense. Why did he decline to comment Trevor Bauer? That I found that really interesting in the piece. Trevor Bauer declined to comment. When does he ever decline to comment? Never. And he did come out and with a little bit of a Twitter thread, I believe, kind of talking, basically saying, you know, he was being targeted. Um, and we know he well, can get 
he's made himself a huge target. Like you I, said. I, I agree. And even as someone who likes Trevor Bauer, I can't deny that, you know, um, he's continued to put himself out there and he didn't comment. You know why? Cause he knows he's guilty. There's no denying it. You, you can see it on the stat cast data will tell you, but he's kind of shown he's doing this stuff to prove what it is. And you know, he's part of the crossfire. Now, you know, you talk about something, you continue to put it out there. You're going to become part of it. I truthfully believe baseball needs to use this year similar to they did with the steroids back in that 2004 period where, you know, they tested guys and we know David Ortiz tested positive, but there were no punishments. It was basically almost a grace period. We need to have a grace period where things get organized here because it's out of control. We see it's out of control. So now we know 100% that every ball that is in play is taken and investigated into. And they do studies on it and, and they just get information. That's what it is. It's, it's to gather information, get the data together and make some judgments about what's happening. We know that. What's the timeline for enforcement? You talk about the steroid um, investigations, Balco, whatever, the Mitchell report, whatever you want to call that period. We can call this period something else. We can call it the StatCast report. Anything you want to call it, that's what this era might be going down as, the StatCast era. Yeah. I, listen, I don't know if this is a weird opinion, but I don't think Trevor Bauer is going to end up getting punished for this. Uh, I, I think we're going to remember this story. We're going to look at it. And the MLB in maybe a month, maybe in May, after a season will come out and you know make a statement about what they're noticing, what their findings are. But I think realistically, this is just someone who came to Ken Rosenthal, Ken Rosenthal said, I saw stuff on the ball, and that was the story. It's just, it's a hard thing to look at. And I, I think the issue itself is more important than the story that was put out. I think the story that was put out just show, tells everybody something we all knew. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, it's up to, ba- to Major League Baseball to make a change here, to do something about it. And I'm scared to say it, but I, I don't trust them to handle this correctly because they're either going to have to go and come up with a substance for all pitchers to use, something that's similar or that works for everyone. Um, or, you know, it's just going to continue to get worse and worse. And people have talked about moving the mound back and doing these different things. No, it, it's the stuff on the ball. You want to know why these breaking balls are moving like this. There's your answer. It just drives me nuts. You know, baseball's the one sport to me where it's like, just let baseball be baseball. You know, enough of this garbage with this and that. I mean, if guys are cheating, guys are cheating. And the MLB's got to crack down on it. I think we're all in agreement. Right. I mean, what um, if you think pine tar should be on balls to increase spin rate? Like you say, we can compare it to steroids. Wouldn't the same person who says that also be in agreement with oh, whatever? Just let everyone use steroids. Right. That's fine. Everyone should use steroids. Right. It, it would be the same thing in that argument. Now, I'm not sure. I haven't really gone deep into the differences and really valuing what's more effective steroids or pitchers improving their spin rate using a foreign substance. I don't know. You can probably make the correlation, but I'm not sure what would value. It's tough to compare, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's apples, oranges. And if it's cheating, it's cheating. It, exactly. I agree with you there. It's You can't exactly compare it, but the way I've kind of looked at it, listen, Jose Canseco is loaded up on roids. He's going to have four or five plate appearances a game. You know, he'll be playing right field. The ball's not coming to him you know, every play Trevor Bauer is throwing 110 pitches on the mound in a six or seven inning start. That's something that's impacting every single 
part of that, you know, portion of the game. And that's where I start to sit there and I'm like, yikes, man, this is such a big problem. Uh, and Major League Baseball has just ran away from it time and time again. And I think management managers and players are terrified of it. You go back to the Michael Pineda situation uh, with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Do you remember how obvious it was John Farrell didn't want to say anything? He walked out there and he looked so reluctant. You know why? Because every other guy on his staff is doing the exact same thing. Michael Pineda had just made it so damn obvious with it on his neck. And that was the problem there. Um, It's just such, it's a culture problem. Um, It's so many different levels to this. And I know there's lawsuits going on. We remember everything that happened with the Angels Clubhouse attendee uh, and Garrett Cole, you know, saying, listen, Garrett Cole was asking me for this stuff. And you go back and you think, you know, Trevor Bauer's in trouble. Garrett Cole's known as a guy who's, you know, had a lot of success because of it. Go back to their UCLA days. And they had a lot of beef back then. It's interesting how those lines kind of go over time and kind of come back to connect. Um, Yeah, it always circles back. It always circles back. Well, very well said. And you just put a very interesting perspective in my head here with the pitcher. Everything in baseball starts and ends on that bump. That's the fact. And, And Four at-bats a game, you know? What, if you're on steroids, you're not hitting four jacks a game, no matter, you know, it's no. just happening. Okay. You know, you might hit 60 over, you hit 60 over the course of a season, 70, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, like someone might hit 40, right? And that'd be good. Um, the steroids are doing their part in their minds. If you're hitting 40 home runs and you're living up to the expectations of whatever contract you have, if you're on the bump and you're affecting pitches to that extent, Right. It it, it is something that we do kind of have to look at here and we shouldn't sweep it under the rug. No. And I, you know, a lot of people say, I think Trevor Bauer said he believes 90% of pitchers, something like that are using it. Um, You know, and listen, I don't, I'm not going to use Trevor Bauer as the guy to tell me, you know, what step, you know, he's going to give me the right portion, but I've seen so many guys just over time, whether it's just touching your belt buckle, you, you can watch it on TV daily. It's just, it's become out of control. There's no one who managed it. And when you don't have clear lines and there's so much gray area, this is the stuff that happens time and time again. And what about the whole idea of infielders um, having pine tar? And then, well, you know, after an out, if there's less than two outs and if there's no one on base, guys are throwing the ball around. Um, you know, what about how, that idea? Yeah. How many catchers have something on their shin pads and, you know, they just reach on it, throw a little something on the ball and toss it back, you know? Yeah. It, there, there's so many elements to it. And that's where like some people are like, well, why don't the umps, you know, in the first inning of every game go up there? It, it's not that simple. Are you going to check every, in- every inning, you know? But back to my point, if you do see something and it's happening in front of you, you and you're an umpire, there's no excuse for you not to be walking up to the mound there. And that's where my problem lays. Absolutely. And you can't check every inning. You're right. Because in this day and age of let's speed up the game and do this and that, you can't have checks now. That would be so tedious and so ridiculous. And I can only imagine what Trevor Bauer would say. Um, he would really rip into that, I believe. But again, if you're an umpire and you see something, enforce it. What are we waiting for? Because now we're in a whole mess of this. So this is a mess. I mean, I guarantee you in June or July, it's like there's so many layers to this story. Um, and we're only at the first layer. There might be 10 of them, seriously. No, you're 100% right. And you just pair that in with, like we talked last episode, the CBA stuff coming up. And it's like, I feel like the next year or two is going to be such a hard period for the sport, a transitional period where they really try to figure things out. We had all the minor league stuff happen over the past year. 
it's a hard time for the sport, but I think it's what the sport's going to need to go through if it hopes to sustain and be popular, you know, and compete with the, you know, it'll never be at the level, I think, of the NFL or, you know, even the NBA at this point. But if it wants to still or still be considered one of the, you know, predominant four major sports. Absolutely. And you know what? We can always look at the positives here and say something good will come out of this and both sides will be stronger. And that's what I hope, of course. I think that's what we all hope. Both sides are happy, they're strong, and we can get on and play some ball. Michael Conforto, um, I don't know if we're going from a negative situation to more of a negative situation, but I think this is fascinating. I think this is a fun story to talk about, actually, except if you're a Marlins fan. But I, I find it fun. I find this a lot of fun. Michael Conforto, it was a strike. It was a strike. And that's where the problem is here. Forget. I don't even care that he leaned in right now. That's besides the point. The rule says if the bitch is a strike and the umpire called it, end of story. No, you're 100% right. And, and that's the toughest part here. And listen, Michael Conforto, I, I don't think he's the kind of guy. He gets hit by a lot of pitches, number one. He crowds the plate. We all know that. Um, but it comes down to, you know, I, I hate to keep harping on the umpires here. And, and, you know, there is a rule that says if something weird happens, if something crazy happens, the umpires do have the right to, you know, step in and kind of give their opinion. It's used very rarely. Buster only talked about it on his baseball podcast uh, over the last couple of days. But at the end of the day, this is the problem with instant replay. If you're telling me you can't look at it from that aspect, what are we doing here? Why are we using instant replay in the first place? The whole point of it is to avoid stuff like this happening here um, for these errors where everyone can look at it and be like, yeah, that was a mistake. The umpire shouldn't walk off the field and immediately tell you, yeah, man, it, it was a strike. You know what I mean? I, I shouldn't have made that call. That lessens the value of the entire product. It shouldn't be about let's get off the field. It should be about let's get this right. Especially, you know, from a betting standpoint, people have money on these games, you know, and you start to get into these waters. It's like, this is what pushes people away from the sport. Well, that's the thing. It's five seconds after the game ends. I missed it. I, I blew it. That's the problem. Five seconds after the game's over. Now, look, that, that was a weird situation, okay? Um, let's not act like this is a walk in the park here for anybody involved. But at the end of the day, that is should be a known rule. Now, that's not a rule that I have studied my whole life, and I didn't know it off the top of my head of, you know, uh, what happens when someone leans into a pitch and what are the circumstances around that. But you should probably understand that when you call a strike, any call, it was, it was he, a backward. He, he, he called it like when you're yeah. calling it, like what more does that need to tell you? I just, I don't understand why if he's sitting there and the other umpire have a, a real conversation, don't leave it to the point and be like, well, technically we can't replay it from that aspect. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's about being right. Get the call right. And like you said, that, that's a very important thing to keep in mind here. This isn't something that happens every game. This isn't, you know, foreign substances on a baseball, right? Um, but I think it's just that continued issue in baseball where it's like, please just focus on getting it right here. You know, there's enough headaches with instant replay at the moment. Just get it right and there's no drama. That's the whole part of it, you know, and nobody's going to be perfect here, right? It's impossible to get every call, you know, always make the right decision, but it just felt like there, it happened so quickly that even the umpires got overwhelmed. I hate to bring this aspect of it up, but I feel like we kind of have to, do you think the Marlins, um, let's say in a blowout game, would they, um, would they hit him? 
I don't know. I, you know, we were talking about this on uh, Zoe and Bertrand the other day. And um, I, listen, I don't think anyone looks at it and they're like, listen, Michael Conforto did this on purpose. Would they, you know, throw one and, you know, hit him in the butt and just say, go take your base. Yeah. I don't think this is going to, you know, would turn into anything more than that eventually one way or another. Um, because you could, it was a weird situation, you know, um, I, I can't imagine it. I, I don't see it happening that way. I feel like it's more on the umpires than it is Michael Conforto. Yeah, absolutely. And, and after the backwards K was called Conforto, no, no, it hit me. And that's when the reversal was made, which was actually the call on the field, which was the problem to begin with. Now, if the call on the field was something else, then I'm sure the replay might've gone a different direction, but because the call on the field is still very important. And I think people have to realize that as well. When the call on the field is made, you know, don't have any different expectations when they go to New York and they're on the headset there. Call on the field's incredibly important. Before we wrap up here, let's talk about some surprises. Who are the guys that you have been pleasantly surprised or, on the other hand, not so pleasantly surprised with? Uh, the first one I'll throw in is Tyler Naquin. Man, I feel so bad for Indians fans. Like, it's cruel. This is so cruel. Like, they have not had, you know, real production in the outfield in a long time, a bat they consider. And listen, Tyler Naquin had some flashes, we remember. Came up, yep. finished third in Rookie of the Year voting in 2016. And over the coming years, there were times when he looked, you know, good, and then he would fall off. He's on a different level right now. Uh, you know, some guys, they start playing for the Reds and they get in that home ballpark and it's just, it clicks. Scooter Jeanette. Like, people forget how good Scooter Jeanette was for a couple of years there. And I think Tyler Naquin might just be the next product of that. The guy, he's tied for the MLB, or the MLB lead in home runs. His OPS plus is like 250. It, it, it's unreal. Um, he's the hottest, arguably the hottest hitter in baseball. Um, and I, I can't believe it. It's stunning to watch. Just tough times for Indians fans. I've always thought he was a good player. I mean, he's a guy that if he was a free agent, for example, I'd sign him and I would say, yeah, he'll slot in. If we have an injury, I have no problems putting him in the outfield. I'd start him as a fourth outfielder and I'd feel good about that. I like Tyler Naquin. Uh, What about on the pitching side? I'll throw in Matt Barnes. Wow. Uh, Listen, I... I've always liked Matt Barnes. I never saw him as a closer. I'll I'll be 100% real with you. There were things that I looked at there and I was just like, number one, whenever he had save opportunities, it was ugly. You know, as a fellow AL East watcher, you've heard and seen the blowups. And he always had an issue putting guys on base. It looked like he was scared to attack guys in the strike zone at times. 2021 Matt Barnes does not give a damn. He's throwing fastball. He's pounding the zone. No fear. And he's been electric so far i got some stats here for you we got so he's pitched five innings this year obviously hasn't given up an earned run yet in that time he's already racked up what is it we got a 19.8 k per nine um on top of that uh the fip is negative 061 negative a negative fip he's broken the metric that's what we're talking about here when you've broken fit, you're pitching well. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it's it's insane. And, you know, that stuff we've seen a role the Chapman do at times. And it's, wow, for a guy in Matt Barnes who people, some said he was a non-tender candidate after how much he struggled last year. And while I was never there, um, you know, I wouldn't, I was not excited to see him closing games. Right now, he's as electric as anyone I've seen in baseball closing games this year. Wouldn't you say kind of an underrated element of the Red Sox is, out of Vino and then Barnes. I mean, that, that is good at the back end of that bullpen. 
that can probably go toe to toe with anyone in the AL East in terms of relievers. Yeah. And there's a little bit more there, you know, Garrett Whitlock, who's been one of the young surprises of baseball, I'll throw him in that, you know, list as well. Um, Rule five pick from the Yankees, you know, shout out Heim Bloom, another pretty insane fine after getting Jonathan Arauz last year. But Whitlock has come in. He's been a multi-inning guy for them. Lethal, just destroying guys with the change up that Matt Andrees, another guy in the bullpen, uh, kind of worked with him this spring and got him there on. And you look at, you know, Sawamura, uh, another pitcher the Red Sox brought in this past year from Japan. He's looked pretty solid overall. And that doesn't include Darwin's and Hernandez, who's been, you know, a little up and down. But we've seen some people think he has closer potential down the road. And Adam Ottavino, while he didn't a little bit of a rough night last night. I put that more on Alex Cora. He shouldn't have been out there as long as he was, but he was hitting 97 in his first inning of work. That's prime Adam Odovino right there. Yep. You know, it's an underrated bullpen, just like a lot of the rest of the Red Sox roster. It may not be the ultimate top end talent, but the floor is so high. I'm going to go team surprises and the theme of the bullpens are going to continue. I'm going Philadelphia here. I, I was not in the boat of the Phillies bullpen is going to be a disaster again. I thought they did a pretty good job of addressing it actually. And I felt pretty good when I looked at the Phillies roster going into the regular season. I said, you know what? The bullpen should be better. They're due for a good year. Um, This is a surprise, not necessarily to me, but I know the rest of the league is saying, whoa, look at the Phillies bullpen. If the Phillies bullpen is good and they get that support back there, they're going to be in the mix here. They might win a wild card and be in a position there. Um, the Phillies are looking for their first winning season in about nine. So they are due. And, and with Alvarado, um, you know, Hector Neris is still there, but they made moves in the off season that are paying off. And that's a surprise. I think to a lot of people in the baseball world, I go then to the offensive side and I go Toronto blue Jays who have guys who look lost in the batter's box, quite frankly. And then you realize, hey, they're young. Okay, we're not talking about 32-year-old players here who should just be real, real veteran, good approaches at the plate. There's guys who are struggling. Uh, Guerrero Juniors look like their best bat right now. Yeah, and Bichette, that oh, yeah, yeah. And he's looking better at first plate base, too. It's, it's helped them, the mobility. Um, the Jays put up 15 runs last night. So look at me now criticizing the bats. Uh, but a lot of that was um, a different dynamic. You know, there's no Tay Oscar Hernandez in the lineup yesterday. There was no Lourdes Gurriel Jr. There are different guys, and there are guys struggling. I mean, Rowdy Telez doesn't have a hit all year. Zero. He needs to play the Red Sox right now. He, that- you know, he plays real <laughs> well at Fenway. He loves playing at Fenway. Yeah, uh, I, I think with the Blue Jays, right? Well, it's easy to get nervous. Obviously, George Springer, their big offseason signing still hasn't gotten healthy either. You know, that's part of it. And now we're looking at the quad and, you know, it's, people are getting a little bit nervous, right? It's a young team. And they're a team last year that surged as the season went on. That's how I kind of see them this year. We've seen just with young guys, they get lost. Sometimes they get overwhelmed. The game starts moving too fast. And there's been enough positives, at least, you know, Nate Pearson's on his way back at the moment. And it's looking like he's getting pretty close to starting games for them again. Um, Marcus Semyon has looked great uh, yep. to start the year. He looks like, you know, MVP vote, you know, Marcus Semyon with the athletics. And I think that's a huge win for the Blue Jays. I definitely wouldn't be panicking if, you know, I'm a fan of them. I, I think, it's going to be a little bit of a slower start, but they're going to really hit their stride as the season goes. And there's someone in a 162 game schedule where you're going to see the best of them, you know, later in the year um, on the Phillies end, Archie Bradley, another name to throw in that mix um, who fits in really well. And while 
Listen, the Phillies had a lot of bad luck last year. Bloom fleeced them with Brandon Workman and Heath Embry sending those guys over there, and they just were terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a rough scene, but I think it was one of those things where the bullpen was so bad all year, it was almost psychological, where they couldn't even go in late in games. It was just every pitcher lost their control or got, you know, was going out the ballpark. Sometimes you just need that reset. I think that's where the Phillies are right now. Yeah, and they could be a surprise team in a transitional phase of like, Going from disappointment and just underperformance to surprise. And, whoa, we're kind of in the mix. And, oh, the Nationals are dealing with injuries. This is happening. Uh, the Mets aren't supporting Jacob DeGrom. They're losing games in that kind of way. It's that kind of stuff. The Blue Jays, much like the Red Sox, underrated bullpen, too, by the way. Oh, yes. And absolutely. And Robbie Ray, once he gets back in the rotation, I'm expecting a pretty good year from Robbie Ray. So I think that will help out a lot, too. Uh, there's been some good pitching performances on the Toronto side, and on the Boston side as well. So, you know, these are two teams that, with the Yankees struggling, and I I don't think that will last that much longer. I think when the Yankees walk into Dunedin on Monday, I expect those bats to really turn up. Uh, No, I agree with you there. And, you know, it feels like, oh, my, the panic. Like, listen, the only panic that's justified was the Aaron Judge panic. Because, you know, you start seeing him deal with something and he's missing games, I'd freak out too feels like people are already writing off Glaber Torres like completely. And while I do believe there's a real problem defensively there, it's not so bad. He's going to sink the team. You know, it really, their pitching hasn't been good. That's the main, you know, issue you got to look at here when you're consistently down, it's hard to play from behind, you know, and we've seen Aaron judge when he has been playing and we, he's been swinging the bat pretty well. Giancarlo Stanton. Um, It just feels like that entire team hasn't really hit a stride yet. And, um, yeah, the starting pitching, like we saw, Domingo Herman got sent down or sent to the ATS now. Um, so they're going to kind of mix and match. Tyon hasn't been great so far. Corey Kluber was okay as first start, not very good the second time around. Um, it, it, it just it hasn't been a strong start to the season for them. But how many times have we had that conversation with the Yankees? Well, the only guys that have given them really good starts, Garrett Cole, of course, and then Jordan Montgomery put in a good start. That's about it, though. I think the frustration of the Yankees on the judge front is kind of the hush-hush approach from management when no one really knows what's going on with Aaron Judge. And there's injuries that come up. Before opening day, he wasn't feeling well, Aaron Boone said. And now this comes up, so we don't really know what's happening with Aaron Judge. It's none of our business, quite frankly. If they don't want to say it, they don't have to. But from the fan base's perspective, they want to know, is this guy good to go, sustainable, up until September. We don't know that. No. And listen, I, like you said, who knows? It doesn't seem like it was a vaccine situation. Like we've seen, you know, JD Martinez, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. You, you mentioned that earlier. Uh, T Oscar Hernandez, you know what I mean? Uh, guys who have had to miss just a little time because of the side effects. It is what it is, right? It's just the world we live in today. Um, but Aaron judge wasn't placed on that list. So, you know, that kind of makes me question things and look at it a little weird. I just, I look at Aaron Judge and it's a little bit of the Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, issue where it's when something's wrong, it it derails everything, you know, and it becomes the conversation. It brings the entire team down and you can see it immediately because he he's the heart and soul of that team. It's Aaron Judge, you know, when he's at his peak and he's smashing the ball and doing Aaron Judge things, that team feels unbeatable. Before we wrap up here, I just want to say if the Yankees start losing patience with Jay Bruce, Rubenan Odor is going to get full-time opportunities. They're going to move LeMahieu to first base. Glaber at short is concerning at, you know, at that position. But 
you got to ride it out with Glaber. He's just that much of a talent. You have to. Exactly. The people who are already like, you know, send them off, like, you know, move them. We're barely into the season here. Breathe. Let him play. You know, the talent is still so high. And even if it's a little short, it's shortstop in terms of production. Like, look at Xander Bogarts, someone who's a below average shortstop, you know, when it comes to metrics and stuff like that. You can survive. Now, you know, and people are like, I don't know if you've heard this, the Glaber Torres for Trevor Story stuff. That trade does not make sense at the moment. And Trevor Story is a free agent at the end of the year here. You know what I mean? Glaber Torres has plenty of years of control left. Hold, chill, chill. It's the first week, you know, eight, nine days of the season. We have no idea how things are going to go. And let's not forget Marcus Simeon about six years ago was probably the worst defensive player in the sport. A hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right. It's pretty good now. It's pretty good. <laughs> Shout out Ron Washington. Yes. Ron Washington, maybe my favorite manager of all time. Ron Washington. I love the shout out to Mr. Washington. That is the squeeze. This is Primetime Sports Talk. My name is Logan Lockhart. That's my co-host, partner in crime, Tyler Milliken. Last words, Tyler, before I see you next week for another episode. Hey, let's hope this Red Sox win streak keeps going, right? Hottest team in baseball, right? Hey, you're 100% right. All right. There you go. Hottest team in baseball. It'd be good if next time we do an episode you can say those exact words then you're gonna have a huge smile on your face i can just see it now yeah and so uh on zoe and bertrand a couple days ago we made a bet if the red Sox get to seven game win streak which they're two games away they're gonna shave my beard on the show uh yep so i maybe next time we do this i might be beardless it'll be rough i don't have much of a chin we'll see so tell me they got baltimore today and then where do they go are they Uh, I believe we have Minnesota coming up next. There you, it, it, okay, so Minnesota, tough. It's going to be tough. We'll see. I, I got to see the pitching matchups. I'm going to see that. I'm going to. I'm going to definitely tune in, uh, and we'll see. New England Sports Network. That's my place on Monday or Tuesday. I'm not sure if they have an off day, but uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. They got to win today, though. They, Baltimore's yeah. tough. Baltimore's I- tough. Yeah, I believe there's no off day. They had one, not yesterday, but the day before. So it should be all the way through. But they're all afternoon games at 2 p.m. So not my favorite, but uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's the squeeze. We'll see you next week. Make sure the audio version of this, you can find it, all platforms, wherever you get your podcast. search up the squeeze. Spotify, that's the main one. Go to Spotify, and you will see it right there. Download, rate subscribe do whatever you need to do subscribe primetime sports talk on youtube we are here in video you can see our faces not sure if they're beautiful or not but you can see them every week on youtube on twitter if you follow us search up our names you'll find us figure it out and uh we post clips there as well have a good one enjoy the baseball